Our Old Testament lesson this morning is from Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7, which can be found on page 596 in your pew Bibles or 1139 in the large print. Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 7. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we do thank you for your word which you have given to us. We pray that you would give us ears to hear. God, that it would be your word that we listen to first and foremost, that it would be your word that helps us know how to listen to all the other words. God, we pray this morning that it would be by your word and by your spirit that you would continue the work of transformation in our hearts and in our lives, that you would continue to change us into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 7. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Our New Testament lesson from Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. found on page 841 in your pew Bibles or 1610 in the large print. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you have already looked in the bulletin at the sermon title, you may have noticed this is the longest sermon title ever. (laughs) 
from homogeneous leadership prepared for Christendom to preparing all of God's people for a post-Christian culture. That's hard to do in one breath. And that contains an awful lot. But we have been looking uh, several weeks this summer at five shifts that our denomination has identified, shifts that the church needs to make going from this to this. And uh, this is one of them, so I didn't give these words. I just took it straight from there. That's why we get the long title. But we've been saying these are not just brand new shifts, that now this is something we need to do that the church has never needed to do before. In fact, we've been going back and looking at what happened throughout the book of Acts, particularly what happened at Pentecost and beyond. And we see that these are all shifts that had to be made then and that we continually fall away from it again and have to make the shifts again and again and again. And so this one is, from homogeneous leadership prepared for Christendom to preparing all of God's people for a post-Christian culture. What we will be asking with this is, what is the message? Who are the messengers? And who is the message for? That's what we're looking at this morning with all of that. And for that, we're going to look firstly at the first Pentecost sermon. When Peter stands up before the crowd, where they've gathered at Pentecost, this is from Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 39. It's long, but it's good. It's all important. God's Spirit has come into their midst. Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem and wait until the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you'll have a power that the message will go out to the whole world. And what we see happen is God shows up in a wind and fire over their heads and they start speaking supernaturally. If you've ever tried to take a foreign language class, you know languages don't come easily. (laughs) At least not second or third languages. And yet instantly, we have this supernatural speaking of other languages. And everybody gathers around and they said, what is going on here? And some people said they thought they were drunk. Although, if you've ever been drunk yourself or around those who are, you know, speaking in other languages is not usually how that happens, or not usually what happens there. And so Peter stands up and he gives this sermon where he says... Starting in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David, had, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, 
Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Wow. We look at this because there's a shift that's taking place at that Pentecost Sunday. And you may have noticed it in the way that Peter explained the message. But there are some things that shift. There are other things that don't shift. And for that, I can tell you a story I heard years ago about Lewis and Clark. Lewis and Clark, who set out to find if there was a waterway that went all the way across the continental United States. And, um, well, there's not. But they didn't know that. And so they go out setting setting forth on this uh, adventure and they have their canoes and you, know, you can paddle along so far and they knew it was going to be hard and of course they probably and the person I heard uh, say this originally had pictures to go along with it so you know, picture the canoe paddling along and he said you know they knew it was going to be hard and so they might have expected you know there's going to be some places where we just have to paddle really hard he said but what they didn't expect was this and then he goes to the next slide and it's a picture of the Rocky Mountains if you've ever been to the Rocky Mountains, you know you don't paddle over that in anything. <laughs> but there is the continental divide, the Rocky Mountains separating the east from the west. And if they were going to get across, well, paddling canoe wasn't going to be the way to do it. And so at that point, this is what his uh, point was, is we will always come upon things that we don't expect to be the case. But when that happens, we have a choice. Lewis and Clark had a choice there. Are they going to say, well, our job was really to just paddle as far as we could. We did that. Now let's go home. Or would they say, our job is to get to the other side, whatever that takes, even if that means we ditch the canoe and go some other way. And so depending on how we answer that question, what is our job? What is our mission? That will determine how we answer the question. Do we just need to paddle really hard? Do we need to head on back? Or do we need to change the methods? If their mission stays the same to reach the other ocean, they're going to keep going forward, even if the methods change. Or they can keep the methods and change the mission. Um, Some of you are probably getting pretty nervous already. 
because it almost makes it sound like I'm getting ready to say we need to change everything, which is not true. But there are always things in need of change. And that's where this long and obnoxious sermon title comes in. Because there are some things that need to change. The message, though, always stays the same. And what we see with Peter in this um, in this first sermon is the message from day one is Jesus. Jesus as king. Jesus as the one that God promised to send. And Jesus as the one who died and who was buried and who was raised. And uh, we see this again as you go on throughout the book of Acts. This is the message over and over. Preaching about Jesus. Preaching about Jesus. So that's the message. I'll give you a short little summary, by the way, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. It's a nice place to go if you ever can't remember what the message is. Just in a few verses. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, people who knew this message already, but as a reminder that we don't ever outgrow the gospel. Anyway, uh, well, like a building doesn't outgrow its foundation or a tree doesn't outgrow its roots. The bigger they're going to get, the more solid those have to be. And so he says, even though you guys have known this before, I'm going to remind you of it. 1 Corinthians 15, the first few verses. So he's going to remind them of it. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. This is verse 3. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, the twelve more than 500, and also to me. And so those are the elements. This is what he says. This is foundational. This is what we have to keep being reminded of. Our message is Jesus, that he, um, that he died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised to life, and that he appeared to others. This is our message. This does not change. And we talked a few weeks ago about how uh, the church doesn't have a mission. But God's mission has a church. So if the mission that God has called us to is to proclaim this message to a world that needs to hear it, the methods may need to change sometimes when we encounter things we don't expect. But the message stays the same. The mission stays the same. So here are some things that may be different than what we expect. Uh, This sermon title uses words like Christendom and a post-Christian culture. The world that Peter was living in prior to Pentecost was one where, I mean, he's, he's in Israel. Everybody's Jewish. The message is for them, and the message is about them. And there was nobody else that was going out to. In fact, how many times did you hear as he's proclaiming this message that he keeps saying, fellow Israelites, listen to this, fellow Israelites. That's who he's talking to. And as you read through the entire rest of the book of Acts, not only in this moment, but throughout the rest of the book of Acts, it goes out from here. See, in this moment, we have a major shift. One is from who the messengers are, and the other is who it is they're speaking to. The message stays the same. But who is speaking? It's Peter. Peter was not one of the Pharisees or one of the religious leaders. He was not a preacher. He was a fisherman who knew Jesus and was empowered by the Spirit of God. That's it. Now, I read uh, a devotional. 
end of June. It's very helpful. Entitled, Anyone Can Preach. Now, right now, some of you are thinking, except you, but leave that. (laughs) So the problem is that a lot of us have, um, have an assumption that preaching is what preachers do. And so you need to have a special degree from seminary and special education that enables you to preach. But we're confusing things. Preaching and teaching are not the same thing. And so he says teaching requires proficiency with a set of knowledge. Preaching, on the other hand, simply means to proclaim or announce. Preaching requires one to have experienced what is being proclaimed, but it doesn't mean you completely understand it. For example, I think this is very helpful. Preaching is announcing that Flight 544 from Cleveland has arrived. Teaching is explaining the aerodynamic forces of drag, lift, and thrust that cause the airplane to land. Not everyone possesses the knowledge to teach, but anyone with a genuine experience of God's presence can preach. If you have a story of encountering Christ, His power, and His kingdom, then you are qualified to preach, even if you can't fully explain that experience. Anyone can preach, and this is one of the shifts that has to be made. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. But here's one of the other places that comes in. Not only is it going from the uh, religious leaders to other people, but it also starts going to others that don't all look the same. And that's what this going from homogeneous leadership to all of God's people. Think about it. If we have a world in the United States of preachers who are all English-speaking, white males between the ages of 30 and 60, with a wife and kids, there will be a whole lot of people who will never hear the message because they don't want to listen to an English-speaking white male between the ages of 30 and 60 with a wife and kids. Say, they don't know what I'm going through. My life is so, so different from them. Uh, my experiences are so different. So what do we need? Because that's what I am, by the way. <laughs> Those are the categories I fall in. And what that means is if I'm the only one and others like me are the only ones who are proclaiming this message, there'll be a whole lot of people who never hear it. So what do we need? All of God's people sharing the same message. Because some will listen to me who won't listen to you. And some will listen to you who won't listen to me. We need all of God's people to share the same message. And then whether they hear it from one person or another, it doesn't matter. It matters if they hear the message. And this is what we see, by the way, this is beautiful thing in Acts chapter 8. There's a persecution that comes and for some reason all the other apostles, all the, the apostles who had been with Jesus stayed in Jerusalem and everybody else gets scattered because of the persecution. And it says, uh, and those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. But it just said those weren't even the apostles. So now we're not even looking at the religious leadership. Now we're not even looking at the apostles. Now we're looking at just everybody. And everywhere they go, they're preaching the message of Jesus. 
And it's because of this that we get to the end of the book of Acts and we have Paul himself, who was a Pharisee, who was a religious leader, who was completely changed when he met Jesus, who really, really, really wants to get to Rome. He wants to get to Rome because he needs to make sure that the people in Rome hear the message of Jesus. And he's the apostle who's been called to take it not only to the Israelites, but to everybody in the world. And if he can get the message to Rome, then the whole world can hear. And you get to the end of the book of Acts, and Paul finally makes it to Rome. And here's what we read. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming. And they traveled as far as the form of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. Did you hear what happened there? He's got to make it to Rome so that people in Rome can hear the message of Jesus. And when he gets there, he's welcomed by the people who already have heard the message before he ever got there. And his response was not, ah, I guess I didn't need to come. <laughs> his response was to be encouraged and to be thankful because he could see how God was working, not just through him, but through all of God's people everywhere they went. And the people who were scattered from Jerusalem in the persecution had gone everywhere proclaiming this message, even as far as Rome, before Paul ever got there. And the message is getting around. Now, we talked about the message. We talked about the messengers. The other thing is, who's the message going to? And that was a major shift that we see at Pentecost. That's a major shift you see all through the book of Acts is this. Wait, is this just for Israel or is it for everybody? And the message is constantly comes back as, it's for everybody. Everybody, everybody, everybody. That's what we saw in the quote from uh, Joel that Peter said. Sons, daughters, men, women, old, young, everybody. God's going to pour out a spirit on everybody and they're going to be proclaiming. This is different. They were having to preach the message about Jesus to people who had no idea about anything going on with Jesus before this. Has anybody here seen the movie Risen? No? Yes? I don't know. Uh, I saw it. It's interesting. Take some minor issues with it, but the idea of the movie I really like, and that is to show the story of Jesus' arrest, trial, crucifixion, and resurrection through the eyes of a Roman soldier. Why do I like that? I like it because of this. When we read through the New Testament, what do we get? We get the perspective of the disciples, or at least from uh, people who know the story of Israel, who know about uh, all that God has been doing in the Old Testament. It's the Israelites that Peter's able to stand up and say, listen to what Joel said about what's going on right now. Listen to what David said about what's going on right now. This Roman soldier would say, who's Joel? Who's David? No idea. And what we find through the rest of the book of Acts is people going out and having to proclaim this message, not just to people who already knew the story, but to people who had no idea about the story. That's where you hit the Rocky Mountains. That's where the canoe that you've been in may not serve you so well. And you say, well, then how are we going to communicate this? How are we going to communicate this same message to people who have no idea? And that's the same situation we're in today. It may not have been the situation you were raised in. And that's why it comes unexpectedly. Because what you were raised in may have been in a Christian home where everybody in your family knew the story. And you may have had Christian friends. And you may have lived in a Christian community and town where everybody 
It was a part of a church where everybody at least knew the story, even if they didn't attend church regularly, even if uh, they didn't read their Bibles regularly. Everybody knew the story. This is increasingly not the situation today. And for many people on the street today, if you were to say, all right, quiz about the Bible stuff, would you find the stories of Moses in the Old Testament or New Testament, their most likely response would be, what's a testament? That's just not even a part of the world at all. I have some statistics on that. In the United States, in 2015, 78% of Americans describe themselves as Christian. And that's why we often think, yeah, most of the people in this country are Christian. But the Barna Group did a little bit more digging, and they asked more specific questions, like, for example, do you believe in God? Which you think would be important if you're going to be Christian. But apparently many people who said, yes, they're Christian, don't believe in God. Many people who say they're Christian don't have some of the basic fundamental uh, beliefs that Christians have or practices that Christians have at all. And so through that, uh, they developed 15 questions, and they said, based on these questions, we can see who's actually uh, acting as then living as a Christian rather than those who just say they are, who may have no idea what it means. I just mark that box because, well, I'm American. It means the same thing, right? Here's what they found. In 2013, 37% of Americans qualify as what they would call post-Christian. 37% of Americans. But wait, there's more. Two years later, 2015, 44%. From 37% to 47, 37% to 44% in two years. And that much change that quickly. That's what's happening right now in our country. We are quickly moving into a case where the majority of the country will be post-Christian. And when we start to communicate the message of Jesus, we cannot start the way we've always started before, assuming they already know most of the story, they just need us to fill in the gaps. We will have to be communicating the message to people who have no idea what the story is at all that we are a part of. Who God is and how he has uh, come to us in Jesus and what that means for us. And I know some of you are probably thinking that that's the United States in general and we live in El Dorado, Texas. Things are a little different here. And they are. They are. However, I don't have statistics on you know the Barna Group's findings in El Dorado, Texas, but... There is some survey data out there uh, on citydata.com where they look at census data and all sorts of things they put together. And uh, we can look at things from 2000 and 2010 as far as uh, what churches people say they identify with. And not specific congregations, but whether Protestant, Catholic, or none. In the year 2000, 51% of people identified as Protestant, 15% as Catholic, and 33% none. That's here. 33%, 33%, none. 2010, 10 years later, 42%, 43% Protestant, 12% Catholic, 46%, none. From 33% to 46% in this town. We are...
increasingly, increasingly in a, finding ourselves in a post-Christian culture. We are coming up against the Rocky Mountains with our canoes. And we have to ask the question, what is the mission? Is it to paddle harder? Or is it to get to the other side? If our message, or if our mission really is to get this message to everyone, and it'd be hard to read through the whole book of Acts and conclude anything else, and that our, message, our mission is to get the message to everyone, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and that God raised him up again, and has appeared to the apostles, and even to us. That he is still changing lives today. Listen. I constantly say that we have uh, a message that the world desperately needs to hear. If you have watched the news at all this week, I hope you know that's not mere rhetoric. This is a message the world desperately needs to hear. A message of Jesus. When we have, it doesn't matter where you look in the news right now, at every situation we look at, we have people dividing and dividing and dividing and pulling each other down rather than coming together. In Jesus, we have the one who makes us not only makes us right with God, and we were still enemies, but who also takes people of every age, gender, nationality, language, race, everything. He takes people who are foreigners and he takes people who are, uh, who are enemies. He takes people who are strangers and he takes them all and brings them together as family. What other message does this? Who else does this? There are a lot of other places that we can look. There are a lot of people who are willing to give us answers. Our message is Jesus because we know that he is the answer. We have no other message. We have no other mission. I know um, at this point, other than me stopping talking, what you'd really like is for me to give you some sort of specifics. Okay, how do we do this? I don't have that. I would recommend books like this, though, Good Faith by David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons. Being a Christian when society thinks you're irrelevant and extreme. As we are, again, coming more into that, what does it mean to live good faith? Having the right beliefs, having the right action, speaking the truth in love to everyone. But as far as how this specifically works out in your life and in your world, I don't know. I don't know. But I would encourage you to begin praying now, if you haven't already been, that God would open doors of opportunity for you to speak to those around you, those who you're already in conversations with, that all of God's people would be preachers. You don't have to explain it all. You just have to announce it. The news of Jesus. That all of God's people would be speaking this message, proclaiming the message of Jesus, to a world that desperately needs to hear it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.